Hello, hello. We're starting to get everybody uh, organized to have this fireside. So jump on in and um, we'll start in a few minutes. Hope everybody is having a wonderful Wednesday. Jack, I'm going to make you a moderator as well. Welcome, Hussein. Good evening, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How are you tonight? Good. Hi, Kaiser. Oh, Jack, sorry. Hey, guys, can you hear me all right? We can yeah. hear you great. Sound check is fantastic. And just for anybody who's joining, um, be aware that this is going to be enabled for replays. So um, uh, this will be available for people to listen to at a uh, a later time. So if that's something that you don't want to participate in, you don't need to speak. Um, but um, we are excited to be able to offer that um, to lots of people who might not be able to attend at this particular time. Good evening, Russell. Hussein, Lisa, how are y'all doing? So good to be here again tonight. It's good to see you. Good thing we didn't try to open the room last night. <laughs> I uh, know, Hussein, I was the same way. I thought, okay, I can't wait. We're going to get to do our thing and have so much fun. And just yep. like you, I thought, oh, wait, it's like a day early. So, yes, very eager. Jack, always good to see you and looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better tonight as well. Good evening, Miss Katie. There's Katie. Oh, hello. Hi, I just popped into the room. I was finishing up in the Security Mindset Club room. Um, so sorry, I usually am uh, right. I, well, hey, listen, 701. I mean, that's not <laughs> bad. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no apologies here tonight. No apologies. Um, we're just glad to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, good evening, everybody. I'm assuming everyone was just going around and just saying hello real quick. Uh, we were just about to get started. I wanted to give everybody a little bit of time to get here and then we can start kicking off. But since it is 7.01, um, <laughs> we, we will start rolling with uh, this particular round of the fireside chat. Um, a couple of things that you should know about if you're new here. Welcome, welcome. It's exciting to have you. Um, couple of uh, ground rules. Um, the discussion topics are our own personal views. They do not represent views of any past, present, and future employers. And I know that caveat applies to a number of us here. Um, 
please, please, please keep this a friendly and open zone. But that means no vendor solicitation. If you have a great product or service, now is not the time or place. Um, uh, so that's one of the ground rules. And last but not least, have fun. This club is about learning, educating, sharing, mentoring, building new professional relationships. And the goal is to have fun discussing these topics that we're passionate about and um, making sure that we have uh, an open and engaging forum. So uh, if you haven't joined us before and this is your first time, click on that little green house at the top of your screen and uh, join the Fireside Chat Club so that you'll be aware of when things are coming up. Um, tonight, I am excited that we have Jack with us, Jack Kaiser. Um, and um, the run of the show for tonight is um, we're going to have the mods introduce themselves, saving Jack for last. And then we will be asking Jack his origin story. How did this all come about? So first, I will say my name is Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Uh, I run Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, which is a compliance, ethics, and corporate governance consulting firm. Uh, I teach law school in the United States and Europe, and I've written a book on these topics. And I'm just excited to be here because Wednesday nights are my favorite nights. So Hussein, you want to go next? Thank you, Lisa. Hussein Sayed, CISO here in New Jersey at RWJ. The same disclaimer Lisa mentioned applies to me as well. Over to you, Russell. Thank you, Hussein and Lisa Beth. It's my favorite night of the week as well to get to hang out and learn from each other. Uh, Russell Eubanks here. Uh, last couple of years, I've been able to speak for myself in running my own company, Security of Rafter. Before that, I was privileged to be the CISO and the CIO at the Atlanta Fed. But Katie, so glad you're here. Over to you. Hi, everybody. Good evening. I'm Katie Hanahan. I am the VP of Cybersecurity Strategy for a boutique SI out of Chicago and also run their VCSO program. So I'm a VCSO as well, wear multiple hats. Um, yeah, I enjoy this room too. Um, every single week, it's really the, we dig into the human factor and, and origin stories and things that we don't dig into um, in a lot of my day-to-day and -day, um, spending time, you know, uh, in the weeds sometimes. So this is such a great room. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Um, thank you you all for being here. Well, fantastic. So um, I think that's your cue, Jack, to start telling us a little bit about you, what brought you to this profession, and what are you all about? Sure. Um, hi, everybody. Are you able to hear me clearly now? You sound good to me. All right. I had to switch off the headset because that was not happening. Um, well, I will say, uh, as far are you, are you talking about background specifically, uh, IT security, or just in general to begin with? Uh, you can take this where you'd like to go with it. Um, some people go deep into like how, what makes you tick. So you have the floor. Sure. So uh, part of the also the the reason I do lazy gamers because I for my hobbies it's uh, mostly video games and stuff of that nature. Um, so I probably been messing with technology and computers since elementary school. Uh, my first, I think, Windows device was Windows 311 for workgroups um, with my good old 486. Um, as well, um, I realized, even though it wasn't at the time realizing it, um, I had played around with a Commodore 64, and because I didn't know file names for games I was trying to play on the particular device, I found out about using the uh, wildcard 
for loading files, not knowing exactly what it was till years later that I just somehow figured out that that makes the things play that I can't figure out. Um, outside of that, uh, I was heavily in the computers around um, the dial-up days, uh, back when Napster was first coming out. I used to use something called uh, Direct Connect++ uh, back when RealPlayer, if anybody remembers RealPlayer, was real popular. And I would spend days downloading Dragon Ball Z fan sub episodes um, through those where I would get like one or two episodes. It would take like more than a day on dial-up. Uh, to get those through different chats and IRCs and things of that nature um, many, many moons ago. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm sad to say in high school, the first time I was able to afford my own personal computer, it came with Windows ME, which is sad if oh, anybody yeah. used Windows ME. Um, let's see, outside of that... Um, I, in high school, I was in marching band. Um, I actually ended up being a music major for a short time in college. Um, and what some people know about me and some people don't know about me is I actually went to an HBCU, even though I am clearly white. Um, it's an interesting thing that I've brought up in different jobs, especially when I don't normally broadcast it in certain professional environments. And then when you have those happy hours or things of that nature, it's always a nice conversation or shock to PMs that I've had, like for Accenture and other companies where I don't talk about it in the work. And then 10 months later, we have some social event and it just randomly comes up. Uh, let's see. Outside of that, um, in the school I went to was uh, Bethune-Cookman College for computer engineering. Uh, let's see. Um, as far as IT, uh, my first experience with it, um, even though when I was doing engineering, I wasn't super interested on the engineering side. I actually kind of started liking the IT side of things. Um, I did work study in college uh, for a couple of years. That's where I kind of learned uh, the IT help desk, things of that nature. Um, back then, for whatever reason, uh, I started using, uh, getting into Linux a little bit, using a distro called Sabion, which is a Gentoo based. Weeds enough to where I would really install bin files. I would play around with flags and manually uh, compile everything from Firefox to whatever application you think of, where I spent like five hours installing one application, just playing around with the different flag configurations. Um, outside of that, uh, of course, grew up with, i lucky enough to have, my stepsister worked at a uh, Babbage's software, which is like a gaming uh, company, kind of like a GameStop nowadays which is probably where I got my love of my games, playing family, uh, playing on the old Dreamcast, N64, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, basically any system that was out uh, back in the day. Um, let's see, for... Hold on one second. Doesn't help that my kids are in the background. Sorry about that. That's okay. We've got plenty of kids in the uh, in the moderator crew, so totally understand. Yeah, so um, I'm actually in the D.C. area now. I've been in the D.C. area probably for about 10 years. Grew up in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Went to school in Daytona Beach, Florida. After leaving Florida, came up to D.C., um, had my first son up here. 
Uh, it's kind of like the whole reason I even stayed in D.C. this whole time is because I have children. If I didn't have children, I probably would have moved many, 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 many years ago. Well, as a mother who's had one child born in the D.C. area, I, uh, I, I know what life is like up there. So thanks for such a robust um, kind of background. So let's talk about today. So today you are working for Albertsons. What do you love about what you do and, and, and red team activities? Sure, uh, definitely. I, I will say this is my first quote unquote job where I technically was on a red team or the red team that we're actually building here uh, for my company. Um, I've done a lot of blue team stock work uh, and kind of worked at companies like hedge funds, law firms, uh, worked in socks and stuff before where I did a lot of defensive or blue team uh, type positions. But what I noticed over the years is I would use a lot of what are considered red teaming tools or more traditionally tool sets that pen testers would uh, more to show proof of concepts or things of that nature to kind of push agendas as far as, you know, pushing management into fixing things uh, quicker rather than later. Um, and then eventually what that turned into was um, I got tired of pointing things out using tool sets. And then basically a pen tester, we would pay a third party to come out here and they would run majority of the same tool sets or something similar, provide similar findings, and then we would fix it because a third party came out and did it versus someone internal, which was always frustrating. Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. no, sorry. And that's kind of what pushed me here uh, for Albertson. So uh, with this certain organization, I'm very happy uh, the organization I'm here with now. Uh, we are doing a lot of growth, building out teams. Um, We've been doing a lot of growth over the last year and continue, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Um, what I do like here on the red side of things is uh, I have a wealth of knowledge and, the, and experience in the people that uh, work with us on the defensive side. Um, so what I've kind of liked here, uh, at least with the culture from the red side of things, is I work very closely with incident response and the defensive people whenever there is some no vulnerability or something that is concerns of ours that we're trying to drive home like, is there an actual known exploit for it? How easily would it be to run in our environment? What kind of damage could that do? A lot of times I'll do engagements where they'll say, hey, we've detected this in the environment uh, from a vulnerability standpoint or things of that nature. Can you do a POC of this within a test environment? Write up a report on that. Um, a lot of things I do as well is heavily focused on attack surface. So like my first month or two here, part of what I did was literally was like, all right, cool. So we are, this is our domain. Knowing that, that's all I'm going to tell you. Find out everything you can find about the organization. Having known nothing about the organization, you have a month or two to use whatever tool set, whatever you want to do. If you need a tool you need money for, awesome, let us know. And it was kind of like a learning experience and uh, working with a lot of other people from different companies, uh, people like uh, consultants from Lars, if anybody's familiar with them and a couple other uh, pen testing consulting companies. Um, I just kind of have learned their mechanisms, their tool sets, uh, gotten really well at uh, recently documenting processes uh, that other people do and kind of just making full workflows where if I get to a certain bit of data or I find a certain step in my process where I can naturally progress from there from a tool set or kind of just kind of versus kind of just all over the place, which some people kind of do. and 
I've been known to do at times. That's a great perspective. And I'm sure that there are many people who have, you know, wondered whether they prefer to be more proactive or more reactive. And I totally hear you when you're saying sometimes just knowing that there's a problem and having to pay gobs of money for a third party to basically regurgitate what you already know can be a bit frustrating. So thanks for sharing that. I'm going to pass it over to Hussein to ask questions uh, from your seat. Thank you, Lisa. Welcome on board, Jack. So my question is a bit different. Uh, can you tell us something about Jack Kayser outside of gaming and pen testing and computers? What does he like to do so that people can know who you are and appreciate your being Jack? Thank you. Um, I'm, well, outside of, well, it's not directly, but I guess technology related, I. I tend to pour myself into anything or any uh, interest I like outside of security. Um, I'm into crypto, building computers, I uh, built mining rigs. Um, I like to take things apart. Um, I like, uh, me and my son uh, like to practice our lock picking. I took him to a lock picking village at a B-side, uh, I think about two years ago, uh, locally in the area. And he learned it, and shockingly enough, he's way better at it than I am. So I just find it funny that we would, like, say, practice on our my apartment, and he can do it, like, in, I don't know, five seconds. Um, so it's kind of like, oh, okay, that kind of concerns me a bit. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, young minds, you know. Russell, over to you. Thanks, Hussein. Jack, so great to have you here. As you were... Given your origin story, Windows 3.11, Windows for Work Group, by the way, uh, marching band, uh, B-sides, showing your son how to lockpick. I'm like, man, it looks like we're, we're cousins already. Uh, so, so, so much enjoy the conversation. So grateful you're spending some time with us uh, here tonight. Uh, question for you. So as uh, red team on, on the red team, I'm sure you deal with as like CISO types like myself and like some others here on the stage in the room. What's one thing that you wish security leaders, whether they've got the CISO title or not, knew or understood or could get through their thick skulls uh, about your art and about your craft? Um, I, I guess the one thing that I, I kind of, I don't know why, it, I mean, maybe it's not so much of an issue with other organizations. Um, so whenever I'm trying, especially if there's some sort of new vulnerability, like whether it's print nightmare or some log4j or anything like that, the thing that I kind of find that, uh, upper management sometimes don't, again, and some of the other organizations I've been at uh, previously was more of whenever a new thing comes out, um, them just not really properly, I guess having a process to at the very least look at your public facing infrastructure and target that first versus just kind of running around with your head, you know, like a, with a chicken with your head cut off. Uh, trying to uh, focus on, you know, whatever mechanism you're using to identify to kind of just say a checkbox to say, hey, we have this done, but then not even willing to put in the time to really understand their infrastructure or at least have a good infrastructure diagram. So like, for example, uh, one thing I like to do, um, or at least like organizations to do, is whatever technology or services, applications, things of that nature that you're using, from a footprint standpoint, just from your uh, footprint of your organization, if you have good knowledge of that, 
what I'll then tend to do is have people focus on looking at security feeds and things like that nature as far as what you focus on to where like any, like for example, if you use a certain firewall technology or something like that, um, being a, being kind of focused on vulnerabilities and things of that nature that are effective for those versus just whatever the flavor of the month is on vulnerabilities so that when something comes out, you just have no idea what actually would affect your organization. Um, and just kind of like getting some form of focus on that. Uh, not to mention, I wish more organizations could do the very simple thing of, uh, I'll give you an example, MITRE framework. Everyone wants to check all the boxes to say they, they can detect and find all the things, but no one actually validates it, checks it, uses stuff like Atomic Red Team, Caldera for emulation, simulation. Um, they just kind of basically take vendors' words that they trust but not verify the, you know, the claims of all these vendors. And I kind of wish that people would actually audit their security tools to actually see, like, are they actually doing the things that they say they are versus just you drinking their Kool-Aid and kind of just in bed with them saying that you're, you know, you're safe, everything's all fine, you don't have to worry about it. But they don't actually verify any of the claims a lot of these vendors are doing. Wow, what a wake-up call for, for us to not just trust but verify, as former President Reagan said, uh, famous for saying of to not just be happy because we got blinky lights blinking, uh, but have assurance uh, that can help us hopefully uh, sleep well at night. Love it, Jack. Uh, Katie, Katie, over to you. Okay, so I have one burning question, and I hope it's okay if I ask and it's not too personal. But okay. what instrument did you play in the marching band so in marching band i played tuba but i actually also, but i also I played bass clarinet so okay. what's funny is i played both woodwinds and brass uh but i did brass instrument uh tuba in marching band and i did bass clarinet in symphonic or classical type uh symphonic band so that's very interesting. And I, so I, the reason I, I, I wanted to go back to the marching band piece uh, as well, because by the way, I just I love marching bands. I have football players as sons, but I look forward to the halftime show as much as I look forward to watching the game. Um, so, you know, I love that background. But what I've also noticed is there's a lot of people in our industry who have um, both a, a really good acumen in music and then a really good acumen in um, doing the type of work that you're doing today. Um, do you see a correlation like that as well? Is that something that I even have a friend who, as they hire, they like to ask people what their hobbies are and they, they file it under the, you know, the pro column if somebody is, you know, in a band or is, you know, a musician of some kind. Is that something that you've ever noticed a correlation in the industry? I have. I've normally noticed I, I didn't really notice it more for the industry. I just noticed, like, for example, I was also super nerdy into math and calculus and all the advanced whatever things. Um, I've noticed more of a correlation on that math side and higher, you know, education mm -hmm. side math uh, complex stuff. Um, sorry. For those and in, in, uh, the music majors and things of that nature. Um, but I can see how, you know, if you just apply that to any technical field, I could see how that kind of correlates. I just never looked at it that way. I looked at it more from the people that are more, you know, mathematically inclined. Usually we're also super into music, play some sort of instrument or thing like that. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I've seen that uh, 
as well. And um, and the kind of where I'm going with the rest of the question is, you know, you mentioned because uh, we talk a lot about, you know, how do we continue to recruit uh, people into our industry? And you mentioned you had a really good work study program. Um, I'd be interested to know a little bit more about that piece of your story as well. Um, I know you were, you know, a computer engineering major, so. Um, clearly, that was the direction you were going to go. They probably do they did they come to you? Did you go to them? Um, just in terms of people who are in that position now, you know, was it your your freshman year? Was it your senior year? Those are the kind of questions that that I get on a regular basis from people who are coming up and interested in getting into the industry. Um, what was your experience um, around that work study program? Oh yeah, so in, in all honesty, the work study program was basically me saying, "Hey, I have a marching band scholarship. Marching band takes way too much time." Um, I need money. So it was like, I need some sort of thing. And then it just so happened that things aligned. Um, I was in the computer. So I went ahead and applied for that. Um, most, I probably started doing that my sophomore year. So I did it for a couple of years um, or probably the tail end of my freshman year. Um, and I, I learned so much on just IT in general. And I had like a lot of really smart people that was working with me at the time that had worked in IT for 20, 30 years that I just learned a ton of things for, especially on Linux. That's that's basically where the basis of my understanding of Linux and kind of where I kind of fell in love with that. And even to this day, I personally use Ubuntu on a lot of, as my host OS on a lot of my personal devices. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I think that that's, as we, you know, move forward in our career, a lot of those fundamental pieces of our um of our DNA, I guess, in the industry happen in those first, you know, three to four years of, of our career. So, um, yeah, I find that really fascinating. And, um, and also just the fact that you actually, it was, some of it was a fiscal reason too, because, um, we also hear about people struggling to, you know, find opportunities, uh, for, you know, education in this field. So the fact that you were able to find something like that, um, to, to help you get through college from a financial perspective as well is really um, enlightening. So thank you for sharing that, uh, Lisa. I'll we'll also that. add that on the side, um, I you know how like Best Buy used to have your whatever amount of money they would charge for virus removals and re-imaging mm -hmm. and all stuff like that. Um, I used to like for like, I don't know, it was like 20 bucks flat or something. I would basically clean people's computers from viruses and stuff of that nature, re-image. Uh, recover hard drive, just do whatever where I kind of just, I liked tinkering and I wasn't trying to like make a ton from it. I was just trying to be like, instead of you going and paying Best Buy a hundred bucks, it's like, give me a couple of days, uh, let me know what you're trying to do and I'll just have at it and kind of learning along in that process. And that was kind of like a side thing I did until the, the college was like, you can't do that because you work, work site for the IT and there may be some confusion from a liability standpoint. Well, that's interesting too, because now it's like everybody has a side hustle, but so you're a pioneer with the side hustle. I love it. So um, just to reset the room for anybody who's joined us in the past uh, 25 minutes or so, this is Fireside Chat. Um, and tonight we have Jack with us. Um, we get together every Wednesday um, at this time and talk to all different sorts of people uh, from security, privacy, compliance, risk, governance, etc. Um, with a strong focus on uh, information security. Um, so 
as we usually do, we open this up to anyone who's in the audience who has questions. Feel free to raise your hand and we can invite you up to the stage. But before we get started with that, um, another question for you, Jack. Um, as you're thinking about how you're continuing to grow and develop in this field, is there anything in particular that you're doing right now to up your skills and up your game that others might benefit from? Well, just from a growth standpoint, um, I will say, and this is something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually suggest. I'd actually suggest people go more open source and free solutions. But um, anybody who knows me, uh, since the pandemic has started, I, for whatever reason, just decided I was going to take any SANS course or work study that was ever available to me. Um, so I'm now actually going to be doing my seventh or eighth SANS course, like in the last, I don't know, two years. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is I actually pay all that out of pocket um, only because I figure I'm interested in those and I'm willing to put that money in that investment into myself. Um, now, if I were to tell somebody else, uh, I would more likely tell them there are other methods of doing it. Um, I just know for myself, the benefits I see of programs like that is if you're like me, I have ADHD. Um, sometimes I need a structured, like even if all the information is out there, I need a structured plan that can present it in a way that I can get through it uh, methodically um, in a more structured way versus me who I kind of get interested in everything, blank, you know, blinking lights, scroll over there. Um, I need I need that structure. So like I've gone a lot of the certification route. So a lot of people that know me know that I've done just a crap ton of certifications over the last couple of years. Well, I will tell you, I'm glad to hear that um, as the mother of a child who has some ADHD, it's important to know what's worked for people who have um, you know, matured and, and um, how they're able to navigate some of the challenges um, with focus along the way. So thanks for sharing that. I'm definitely going to share that with my, my child. Um, but welcome to the stage, Jennifer. Um, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, Lisa and Katie and Russell and Hussein and um, Jack. Thanks for having me up. Um, hey, Jack, great to see you. Uh, I And also back to your comment with Katie and the, the music, the band, I do see um, the music is a big math um, overlay. And so I agree. We do, you, you do see a lot of um, people who have played instruments in the engineering and in this field, which is awesome. Um, and I, I'm going to ask a question. I don't know if this is going to be like in your wheelhouse, but um, when I'm doing contracts with companies like vendors and um, or I'm doing them with customers and we're the vendor, they want us to report, like we'll put language in contracts. And Jenny and I were having this uh, sort of this discussion in an earlier room, which is um, sometimes, you know, legal needs to align with the business teams to what they're actually doing. Um, and in this, you know, and what's meaningful. So in this instance, I'll get people who want us to notify them of any suspected, and they can define it as instance or breach. Um, I mean, and again, those terms are not always well-defined, but um, my understanding is that companies are getting hit constantly. Um, and so an obligation to notify your customers of a suspected instance or an att uh, attempted attack would be like a 400 day, you know, 400 times per day requirement. I just want to get your um, insight on that. Like what's, ac what's real, what's actionable, what's meaningful. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head exactly on what the, how you're crafting it. That's more on yeah. me than it is. Yeah. So if I'm, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm, if you're the vendor, so if you say you're 
say you're Albertsons and you're hiring a vendor um, who's going to be handling data, if they're getting hit um, with malware or attacks or whatever, um, at what level do you want that reported to you? Like, does is it when there's an actual, like if you were, what would you consider that in the trust but verified is from the business side versus the, the legal terms? What would it be material for you to know when something is actually been breached and there's, um, you know, uh, your systems are encrypted or data has been leaked or is it suspected? I find that is a little bit challenging to, to uh, comply with because it, it's, you know, how would we notify all of our customers if we suspect a breach when it may not actually be anything or we don't know what it is yet? Do you, do you have any insights on that? Like from a business side? Or I, mean, from your I guess it depends on your relationship with, with that particular third party. Um, I personally, if there's suspected breach, I would at least want like some form of heads up where even if it's not a hundred percent, concrete especially if um now with that you know with that assumption where we're not 100 percent sure if it's like where they're they're thinking there's something uh possibly awry but they're at the level where even you know for example if they confirmed it it's not to a level where it is um sharing or uh putting our particular company assets at risk our user accounts or anything of that nature uh directly at risk but it's maybe something with them as a company, it, I guess it depends on the severity of what the, you know, in the beginning phases of this detection, right? What severity that would have to us from a business impact for that so that we can properly prepare. And then even in some cases, um, maybe in instances engaged, depending on what company I work for, what kind of business we do, uh, so that we can possibly help engage with that as we may directly have people on retainer that may handle things for like our portion. Like for example, if they're hosting uh, infrastructure for us or things of that nature, it's kind of a loaded question to me. So it's kind no, of that's, hard. That's helpful. The, the way you're thinking through that and the evaluation is super helpful. That's, that's what I would look at as well. So that, that was helpful though. Thank you. Oh, most definitely. That's why I kind of also value uh, companies like, uh, well, well, I'm not going to mention companies, but I, I really value risk acceptance or risk uh, evaluations for vendors. Although when I've done them at other companies, I dread and hate them. Um, I do like the approach of also when risk assessments are done and you get a good idea of what level a vendor has, what access they have into your network, basically what kind of information, if something was compromised with that particular vendor, would that lead to and so you have a better idea of what kind of risk you're taking with that particular vendor so that you can also know like kind of proactively make measures to where if you even think there's a possible issue or there's some shadiness from network wise coming from them or anything of that nature you have a clean cut kind of you know hey let's you know look let's you know shut this down and evaluate and then maybe bring in the vendor and say hey you know i i just like i don't like doing them but i like what they the purpose they serve for doing evaluations for risk uh, risk assessments uh, for vendors specifically because then you have a better idea of what exactly you're exposed to what they have access to and you can properly protect yourself if for whatever reason you have to put something up to stop that connection or that access yeah totally i mean that and in a perfect world that would be great and i totally hear you on it being a little bit trying and on our side you know understanding the risk when we're trying to define the contractual obligations but that's super helpful i like um that approach. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for that wonderful question, Jennifer. Jenny, um, good friend of the Fireside Chat. We are excited to see you here. 
Hey, thanks for having me up. <clears throat> and Jack, I just wanted to make um, a couple comments and I also have a question. So my comment is Jack was one of the first people that I came into the rooms in Clubhouse learning about cyber. And I must say that um, um, Jack and other men like Tom, who's also on the stage, um, in the cyber world are very welcoming and very willing to answer questions for anybody who are coming into this industry. So anybody in the room, please follow Jack because um, you know he's, he's just a gem. And I also would go into rooms when he was working with um, Kevin Foster and other people helping others who were going through studying for the various exams. And I just think his, his work as a mentor uh, really should be applauded because it takes a lot of time to be a mentor. It takes a lot of patience. And for anybody who is mentoring in Clubhouse, it, it is just um, priceless information. So I just wanted to applaud Jack for doing that. And he's just a very genuine guy. My question for Jack is, um, being that you're on, uh, then you're a red teamer, what's the best and the worst part for people in the room about being a red teamer? Um, I selfishly, in all honesty, I'm most excited when there's a new like print nightmare or log project. I, I get excited when the new things come out because I like to tear apart the, the proof of concepts and things of that nature and figure out how they actually work. Um, on the other side of that, what I hate then is because I have, you know, I have that general curiosity, I then normally end up being the person that they want to like explain everything and then tell them how we're going to detect how we're going to do whatever versus like, well, Hey guys, you should probably be looking at this stuff too. Not just me um, to where they kind of become relying on you just because they know you have that genuine interest, which is fine, which is good. A good use of, you know, your right team, things of that nature. Um, I just, I know for some organizations, I, I don't know. I just, I wish from the defensive side, I'm not speaking about this organization. I just know previous ones I've been at, um, where I enter, like where I wasn't on the red team, but I interact with the red team. Uh, there was instances where there was an over-reliance on a few individuals versus the team as a whole collectively contributing in different aspects. And I kind of don't like that because in those instances, uh, when those one or two individuals would leave those organizations, um, I am not sure what those organizations did at that point. Cool. Thank you. And uh, good luck with all your big projects. I'm excited to hear about them. Jenny out. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, always good to have you up on the stage and um, asking questions. Tom, I see you're back again. Would love to hear what is on your mind tonight. So, you know, th this room was always, you know, I I've always liked coming to this room because, you know, you've always had some of the most talented people in here, you know, and I, I love the progression of the room. So, Jack, that you're here, now that I didn't, questions I didn't get to ask you last week. Um, so, interesting part. What, what made you go from blue team to red team? Because usually it's a combination of both, but also the interesting part of, you know, how you were describing everything, it's more like you've gone purple team, where you're doing the combination of both, which I think is extremely essential for organizations. I will say that though I say I've always done blue, a lot of organizations, I was at smaller companies that I basically was all security outside of whatever we offloaded to other like VSOCs or things of that nature. Um, so I, 
truthfully, like what you're saying, I probably was more seen as what you would call probably a purple team. Um, I just, I think for the red, the, the general interest of the red team is I used a lot of traditional red team tools and things of that nature, but the parts that never came together for me was the actual workflow. If I was going to think like an attacker and actually do like an actual pen test or evaluation or assessment, um, it was the structure of that, that I kind of wanted to learn like what that, like, so I can learn how to do, you know, a hundred things, but I don't, I didn't know how to take those hundred things and logically chain those together to do say an assessment or a pen test or things of that nature. Um, versus just like, I know how to use a lot of tools. I know how to do a lot of things, you know, play around less stuff on GitHub. Uh, I guess it's from a structured standpoint, I wanted to kind of piece that stuff together. Um, and the thing I will say though, uh, that I kind of like with doing red team stuff now is I would do a lot of education training and stuff like that for like SANS or other things like that. But then I would be in positions where I could literally utilize 5% of what I was learning. So it was always depressing. And since I've kind of recently got into the more pen testing side, malware analysis, things of that nature, um, I like the idea of the ability to use more of that skill set that I've learned and then kind of reinforce that moving forward versus learn a whole bunch of stuff. Two years down the road, I've never used anything that I supposedly talked about or did in one of those classes. And it gets a bit depressing because I was genuinely interested, but then I couldn't apply it to my actual jobs. So where do you see yourself going in the future? You know, some people want to go for title jobs. Some people stay in that engineering red teaming role. What do you see as a future? Um, I, for a while, because the, the problem is I'm interested in so much. So, like, I'm heavily interested in threat intelligence. Um, I've always kind of I've been a little dabbling interest in like reverse engineering malware. I think the one thing I've been kind of centering around is maybe like threat research. Um, like some of the people like that work for the organizations that are kind of like when the new exploits come out or are kind of digging through those or ones that even maybe do the threat intelligence stuff to kind of see what are the threat actors doing, uh, find out what, you know, kind of the workflows, see what the new techniques that are getting popular, report on those. Uh, while my reporting skills and documentation is not the best, that's something I feel like I've tried to work on recently just because I, I know it's a weakness. So it's something I'm trying to address at the moment as well as, uh, get better at public speaking and kind of speaking in crowds or kind of being more social than kind of being a bit of an introvert. Yeah. Excellent. Cause those are the biggest problems from people like us from the red teamers. We've always hated reports. Then customers always complain. There's not enough details into how you did it. Cause you're kind of quiet about it. And then the public speaking was always the hardest part because we're kind of a bunch of, uh, Omniverts, where we only talk to people who are within our community. So, thank you. Well, thank you for a wonderful question, Tom. Um, really appreciate you joining us and, and, and for the support of um, the Fireside Chats. Um, Caitlin, it's good to see you again. We'd love to hear what's on your mind tonight. Well, thank you for having me. This is, you know, my favorite room to be in on Wednesdays. And um, the question that I have is actually tied to a previous answer um, that you had given. I was just curious coming from another individual who also has uh, ADD, ADHD, when you don't have that structure, how do you enforce it? Because that's one thing that I'm very challenged with. I've 
struggled recently with one of those, um, you know, four letter certifications that will not be named that I recently failed. And I feel like part of it has a lot to do with a lack of structure. So knowing that the world isn't built for, you know, individuals like us who require structure, who may require other sorts of incentive to drive us to be successful. I'm just curious with the amount of success that you've had in your career, how do you drive yourself to be successful in, you know, other instances or ways that, you know, we may encounter business situations, work situations or certifications that aren't set up with the kind of structure that, you know, what what nowadays we would consider neurodivergent individuals require to be successful. Sure, no problem. I mean, I, in all honesty, um, and it's off and on thing for me, I'm super into to-do lists. Um, there's been parts of my life where I would create to-do lists for working out, for getting through my backlog in video games, for just basically every aspect of my life. Because if I don't, I'll spend like a couple hours on YouTube or TikTok or something like that. And I'm like, well, I could have productively done all these other things I wanted to do. And uh, again, to-do list is very important. Um, from like, even from the, the, the uh, certification training. Um, so many, many years ago, uh, I think I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the book, um, kind of like get certified in 30 days or something. I think it was something Dixon on his site. He had like, if we're just talking about certification training wise, right. He had like a get certified in 30 days where he kind of broke down, like going through like the manual or books for like your, you know, say CISSP, CCSP, security plus things of that nature. Um, and I kind of took his kind of rough scheduling and I adapted that to something that works for me. And then with that, his stuff was totally focused on maybe getting through the book material and practice tests. And then what I did is I would then incorporate, um, doing multiple forms of media. So like I was very heavily in cyber since like probably 2018 where I started on the platform as a learner and then later became a mentor, um, for them. And what I would do is I would, you know, make a to-do list, make a plan for how I get through, like, say, my study guide for Security Plus or whatever the, the certification is. And then also along with that, supplement that with video training. Um, and then also for me, and I don't know if it's for you or anybody else, um, I get very easily distracted, especially if I'm reading technical documents or anything that requires super concentration. Um, what I actually found was helpful for me is I actually have this cheap little Kindle Fire that does text-to-speech. So whenever I got my certification books, what I used to always do is I would get them on Kindle or get them somewhere that I could send it to my Kindle digitally. Um, and then when I was reading it, I would do text-to-speech with headphones so that that way I was basically kind of reading it to myself. So audio, you know, from an audio standpoint, I'm hearing it. So no outside noise can distract me. I'm visually looking at it. So I'm kind of trying to use multiple senses to concentrate on the thing I'm doing. Cause like even back in college, when I would read like, you know, electronics books and stuff like that, I could read a chapter and remember like five words. Like I couldn't remember anything cause I just didn't have that concentration to retain. So I kind of just kind of sensory overload, try and make sure I have as many ways of uh, being exposed to material and hands on and things of that nature. And especially just with, if you're just talking about books or studying, I really prefer digital with the text-to-speech just because I can put headphones on and I can kind of literally draw everything out. Like most of my certification training back when before COVID, um, I would literally do all my studying for like CISSP and some of that literally on the Metro in DC going back and forth from work. 
I would just do that, listen to that, and kind of drown everything else out. I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm going to bother you after this conversation because there are a couple of things that I need to learn from you with regard to what you just said. So thank you in advance. Oh, no problem. Uh, what I always will say is the best way to actually reach me is LinkedIn because I actually check those notifications more than I do anything else just because stuff like Slack, Discord, Signal, all that. Um, I, I'm in too many rooms and too many things that I eventually just, it becomes like an inbox with a whole bunch of unread. Um, but LinkedIn doesn't, at least yet. So I'm usually more responsive there. Thank you so much for answering that question. And I think we all got a lot out of it. Um, David, it's always good to see you here, sir. Um, welcome to the to the, the stage and, and let us know what's on your mind. Thank you, Lisa. And um, uh, Jack, really, really good good feedback on the ADH thing, um, ADH um, scenario. I think it's just great how you handled it and how you were able to just focus through it and use the tools that you use. I'm a fellow clarinet player and um, uh, also uh, you know, like that whole idea about being the musical, uh, the musical connection. The question I had for you is um, earlier on, you were mentioning that sometimes higher-ups or exec whatever executives or people up above in whatever uh, role that you're in didn't always validate the tools that they were, I hope I'm quoting you correctly, the tools that they uh, acquired from vendors and didn't validate them or validate the usefulness, effectiveness, or the, the, the solution that they had proposed. Do you think that's because, one, they're dealing, CISOs or whatever, are dealing with this whole level of uh, what would I call it, um, impossibility, uh, dealing with the unknown, because I don't know how they're going to attack me next. I don't know what they're going to do, what they're going to use, and how they're going to use it. Or is it just that they can't see, they don't have total visibility, or is it the fragmentation of all the tools that they have? You know, what's the problem and there, and how do you think we can, you know, we can get through that, all that confusion to get to them to understand, hey, this, this is necessary and uh, it's required, uh, you know, it's just, you know, just because I purchased a company, I got to another tool. Now I got to keep that tool. How do you help get through all that maze and get to helping them understand the reality of what you're, you know, of what they're really dealing with in the secure environment? I hope I asked the valid question. Yeah, question I'll try and answer. I may diverge a little bit from what you're probably asking. But one thing, at least recently, that I really wanted, and I've kind of mentioned it, people that have been running before, I mentioned before is like, for example, um, one, there's going to be a lot of overlap in the tool sets people are using. So there's, you know, everyone's basically trying to be your Swiss army knife where they may be good at two things and then they branch out to do five other because they want your business and those side of things. Um, so you're going to always have some overlap in tool sets. The one thing that I kind of wish a lot more companies do, which I just feel like a lot of them don't, but seems almost to me, just seems like a simple thing to say. And then like, then the part is actually planning it is there's a very simple thing people can do uh, for, I guess, a low-level version of, like, uh, threat modeling, right? So if you're familiar with uh, MITRE Navigator, uh, I can't remember. There's another tool set that basically creates layers for that as well. I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on the name at the moment. But, like, a very simple thing to kind of get an idea of how well you're protecting or what you can detect and or uh, prevent is if you look at, say, like, I'll, I'll use my industry. I work in retail. Uh, if I know when I look at MITRE, for retail, the main ATPs that target us would be like a, I think of FIN 6, FIN 7, FIN 8. 
So a very simple thing you could do is literally take MITRE's navigator, create a three-layered approach where you look at all the TTPs that are used by the threat actors that primarily focus on your industry. And then when you're evaluating your tool sets and your visibility, verify at the very least that you're focusing on the tactics of the, the mechanisms that the attackers that would normally primarily attack your industry, that at the very least you are correcting the right kind of logs and have the artifacts and the data to detect, if not prevent, um, those kind of attacks. And then that's where I was mentioning stuff like there's Atomic Red Team, uh, Caldera for some simulation, things of that nature. Um, I just wish organizations would do that. And like, even when you're evaluating security tool sets, maybe like, well, this one claims to do X, Y, Z, this, that, whatever. Like, well, the normal person that would target us, what are the kind of mechanism they would do? How well, if I were to emulate or do some simulation of these kind of tactics, do these tools even pick up on or how much would they false positive? Do they even have the right kind of like telemetry data to properly like for you to tune it? Or is the data like not that valuable or not at a level um like i'll give an example uh years ago there was a not hashcat or I mean, i'm sorry there was a hash dumping tool that was like remote i can't remember i'm blanking on the name of it but like i would use one of the edr solutions we have and i would be able to do it every time and dump credentials and my edr which is like one of the big name edrs would like never pick it up mm. and then what i ended up mm. eventually finding is just when I would literally do it over and over again, I would look at the, the how much data, or like I would look at the telemetry data, right? As far as what exactly is picking up to see if I could write some sort of rule for detection. And I just realized, oh, it's because this company sells a base level and then they sell like their threat, whatever hunting, you know, whatever portion of that, that has all the extra telemetry data that is actually valuable for finding a lot of the tool sets that I would use or be interested in finding and doing detection things on. Um, but you would never know that because they're like, they're that big name and they're, you know, whatever they're known for. Um, as well as me, I sometimes get vendors also would kind of get mad at me as well because like when I would tune EDRs and things of that nature, I'm a person from an engineering standpoint where I turn on all the bells and whistle, every capability of things, beaconing anything you can find in audit mode. And I would just look at the ocean Mm -hmm. of data there and then i will just over time slowly carve out what is important to me what is like okay then that's not really that relevant uh things of that nature um and i'd rather take that approach than like do the base level configuration that like a lot of the vendors will push towards you because they'll have a lot of capabilities and what i even found like one of the vendors i used previously is i was doing that and i would just notice on the back end they would do on the fly stuff that would break some of the features I was using and I would report it and they're like, no one else is reporting. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, but you broke this or whatever. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, well only like 1% of our people even use any of these features. I'm like, okay, well I'm 1% and I'm your customer. I still actually did not make changes without like, like literally they would make changes on the fly where it's not even a version change. It's not whatever. They just changed and broke something to where like I had something I was, you know, getting in audit mode and not preventing, and I would write an exclusion for, and then they would just ignore my exclusions. Interesting. What a great, what a great feedback, or what a great response. I think that was just covered every covered everything I was thinking about when I was conjuring that question. But thanks very much, Jackie, and kudos to you for being who you are, where you are. Um, 
again, I appreciate your response. Thanks very much. I'm finished speaking, Lisa. Thanks so much, David. It's always a delightful to have you join us. Um, just as a quick room reset, we are almost at the top of the hour. We generally try to wrap these things up about um, 30 past uh, what would be nine o'clock um, on the East Coast. Um, but uh, if you have questions, again, feel free to jump up um, on stage and ask your questions. Um, moderators, you're also allowed to ask extra questions towards the end. This is the Fireside Chat. If you haven't followed us before, welcome. We enjoy having lots of new people here. Uh, follow us by clicking on that little green house at the top of the screen and joining the club so that you can be aware of upcoming events. We have loads and loads of them. Uh, feel free to reach out to any of the moderators if you're interested in being in the hot seat. And uh, Henry, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. What's on your mind? Hello, Lisa. Thank you for um, for acknowledging me. And Katie, thank you for inviting me up to the the speaker side of the house. Um, Jack, uh, good to connect with you on LinkedIn this morning. So I'm I'm glad to see that you're doing just fine, and you're you know you're I'm giving us a great story here. So I appreciate that time. Um, you went, you mentioned earlier Commodore 64 and Windows for Workgroups, and it kind of took me back in time because I'm an IT veteran myself, and and I had some great memories as you were mentioning those uh those technologies. Um, and my question is, as as you've evolved through IT and and you know in your in your in your career, when or how did you kind of get steered into the information security, cybersecurity? side of this house. Okay, um, the way, and, um, and I kind of wish I'd moved into security a little sooner. Um, I will admit that I did contracting work for six years or so uh, for government contracts for IT and kind of was just got complacent in that. Uh, what ended up changing that for me is I went to go work for a managed service provider and locally in the area. Uh, while I went to go work for them, I worked for them about uh, close to four years while I was there, um, I, I had great mentorship within that company from all aspects. I was like, so before that company, I had never touched a server, knew nothing about Active Directory, knew no GPOs, no firewalls, no anything. And I basically learned all that side of the house, managing all of that. And like, even for one of the companies we were supporting, I basically built out their whole security stack, moved into a tiered AD model, would evaluate all the, the pen testing reports we do and write, you know, do the actions on those with the CTO. And things of that nature. Um, and luckily enough, uh, some of you may know him. Uh, I was able, while I was at that company, to get a wonderful uh, mentor in Terrace Jackson, who is now with uh, Microsoft, formerly CISO for Thicotic. Um, so, like through the years, he's kind of been like a big uh, proponent for me. And kind of, especially when I was working at the MSP, he was very quick to be like, "All right, here's an article. Go figure this out." I was like, "Awesome, cool. Do you, you need to say a word?" Uh, and even a funny story with that MSP, and I think this is what may have driven my the way I approach certifications is you know how when you're working for a managed service provider or IT, and you like some vendors will like say hey if you have X number of certified engineers or advanced whatever for our testing stuff you get a better rate and all this other stuff. Um, I used to basically even if I didn't really touch the tools that much, I would volunteer for a monetary fee. 
to basically study up on whatever technology thing we needed a quote unquote advanced or whatever type of engineering for. And I would do that, take the exams, pass them and do that for the company so we could get that status for those things. And that kind of made a bad habit of me kind of methodically approaching certifications and trainings and things of that nature. Um, that kind of came from that before I even started getting into the security certifications. That, um, that's awesome. So that led you into this role here with Albertsons? Uh, well, for the, you mean for the pen testing side? Well, I've, I've been doing security. No, on the, on the cybersecurity side of the house. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, a, so in cybersecurity, as a CISO. security stuff I did was at that MSP. Uh, once I did a lot of security, like, you know, base level, like kind of touching all aspects of it. From there, I went to do, I worked at a government SOC doing vulnerability management, managing web app security, database security, uh, net tenable, things of that nature. Then I kind of did, uh, security analyst role at a law firm. Um, I worked at a defense contractor for a while doing uh, Azure, Fentanyl, uh, SIM, playbooks, architecture type stuff. Um, and then I eventually ended up landing where I am now. So I've done a gambit of a couple other little things all over the place, uh, but mostly on the engineering side. And this is like the first time I've actually done anything specifically leaning more towards the red team specifically. Most of my other stuff has been more of an engineering uh, side of things. Right, but that gave you the, um, I guess, the foundation to kind of get where you are today and continue in this role as more of a you know, CISO type role as, as opposed to the engineering roles that you were in before, correct? Correct, but I mean, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm definitely in more of a, I'm not a CISO type role, I'm just a security engineer, but okay. I mean, but I mean, we're building out a red team. So I am the beginning of the red team we're building out here. So okay. as we build that out, I'm helping develop that for the company itself. Awesome. Well, thank you for your response and for being on here today. Yeah, I appreciate your questions. Fantastic. So thanks for, for coming up to the stage, Henry. Um, Ryan, you have been waiting so patiently. Um, we're thrilled that you have decided to, to raise your hand and kind of come on up to the stage. What's on your mind? Uh, thanks, Lisa. Appreciate that. Um, I think this is like my fourth or so, maybe one or two more uh, fireside chats. Just want to say loving, loving this. Looking forward to this as always. Um, Jack, nice to meet you. Um, thanks for sharing. Um, you know, I, I have to admit, I did have to step off for like a minute after you started introducing yourself. So I hope I didn't miss too much. But I was listening to some of your answers about how you want to get more into like threat research and uh, just kind of going down that avenue a little bit more. And I was just curious with what you're doing with like pen testing and being, you know, at Albertsons and um, thinking of like the supply chain risks with food and then, you know, digital um, modernization that may or may not be going on. Right. And just like the world we live in, I'm curious, I guess my questions are a little bit around like a, you know, how are you identifying some of the ways that you would do these pen tests, right? So, like, that's a really generic question. What I'm trying to say is, you know, um, like, I think I just saw two weeks ago, there was more so a food manufacturer I thought was hit with a cyber attack, and that may have hit their their production. So that may mean, you know, maybe Albertsons doesn't have potentially their snacks if they did sell them, right? Is that is that somehow kind of in in your view, um, or are you really focused on just like Albertson only IT? And then, and then like kind of stretching the question here is like, 
if you wouldn't mind, I'm curious if you can share like, you know, outside of the pen test and, and the reporting part, like, do you have any insight or interaction right like above? Like, are you sharing any of this with, you know, chief financial or, or the finance side, right, about how to better budget for preventing attacks or chief risk officers or board? Um, so I know I just threw a lot at you, but I just really am curious from like where you're at and maybe what you've seen before, what what your insight would be. Oh, no problem. Um, I so I'm a couple I'm a couple steps removed from I guess the C level or CISO level uh, uh, people in the organization. Um, normally I'm so basically whenever something comes out or, or things are concerns to our industry or our company or our customers or things of that nature, um, I have a lot of uh, free time. Not free time. I have I guess some flexibility to where I can explore what you know scenarios can happen from different instances that are happening and occurring, how that could affect us. Like there's even as simple things like before I got here that I never would have thought of, right? So like some simple use cases are like, for example, say any retail store, any retail company, a lot of people will find ways to like game the reward systems or something of that where like there may be companies are losing millions of dollars or, or hundreds of thousands or whatever it is from people finding some sort of uh, trick or way of getting around the way a system works. And then they're doing something that's like basically getting a whole bunch of free stuff based on some rewards program that company has or things of that nature. Um, and just kind of like dissecting that um, just from like a, a company standpoint, just kind of, because me personally, I've always been a person that tinkered with stuff. I'm the person that always created the multiple email addresses more whatever. And I was like, well, if you're giving away like free food or free whatever based on accounts and all that, I would always kind of poke fun at those back in the day where I, there's like a lot of simple things you could do where like if they're not preventively doing those things to stop me from creating multiple emails and things of that nature to get these all these accounts and get this stuff, then that's kind of on them. But now that I'm on this side of it, um, I kind of like looking into those uh, mechanisms on the back end, especially like websites where they maybe do API calls or different things like that that we may expose inadvertently um, and kind of work on that side of the house. Um, I'm kind of very interested in those and kind of just as someone who likes to tinker with things and ways of finding those and hopefully preventing those. Because a lot of stuff, when I think traditionally Red Team, it's more of kind of trying to think more like an attacker would and then trying to use that to proactively find things before others do. And then it costs your company that money. And I'm not 100% awesome. I answered it exactly the way you heard it. Sorry if I may have divulged from what you were asking. No, I appreciate it. You know, I never know who has what insight. And, and I think that, you know, every piece is important. So I just appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, I, I did follow you on LinkedIn. So I look forward to seeing what, you know, other things you might be able to share in the future, maybe around that or, or anything else. So thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so um, we are a little bit past the hour. One of the questions that's been on my mind and I've just wanted to ask you, Jack, is um, you've said that you're into crypto. And one of the questions that I got today um, in a different forum was, do you think that companies will be holding assets in crypto going forward? What are you seeing as trends? Um, is this something that is um, different, you know, industry to industry? I'd love to hear your perspectives because I, I, you know, I definitely have mine, but I'd love to hear what's on your mind. 
I'm not sure as a whole. I know from the financial side, I have, I get the feeling from at least the things I've been looking into that a lot of financial companies are kind of dipping their toe. But I mean, the, the way I see crypto is I don't see a lot of companies that are going full into it. I think it more is people diversifying um, and like maybe giving portions or slivering off portions of their their revenue uh, based around uses and utilization of crypto versus 100%, depending on like some companies are like literally being born out there that are purely around the, the types, the, uh, not the cyber, the uh, crypto space. Um, I mostly see it more on fintech than I see anywhere else. Um, but then also there's other companies I see, like, for example, all the things, if anybody follows stocks with all the drama that happened with AMC and GameStop and everything like that, where uh, they're like starting to embrace like accepting, you know, Bitcoin or Dogecoin and, and all these other forms of payment at, uh, say, AMC theaters. And some other companies were like in a in an attempt to kind of be more personally approachable or kind of uh, play to their audience a little bit. A lot of companies are starting to be more accepting of crypto because uh, of the popularity of it more as a good faith thing. And I think with that, especially nowadays with crypto versus crypto years ago, um, is there's a lot more retail investment. When I say retail is more like the big industry versus like the little guy, the the, the quote unquote dumb money people. <laughs> The, the little people that are doing, I see a lot more in, in industry-wide uh, investing in it, if even if it's just a small portion to where it's like it's one of those things where it's a rounding error to some what they're investing, but it's the the possible return on that that investment could be outweighs the uh, the downside of what the what they're willing to put in uh, on the crypto side. Great, thanks for sharing those perspectives. Um, so let me open it up a little bit more. If anybody would like to jump on the stage with additional questions, feel free to. Um, Mods, any questions from you? Yeah, I have one follow-up question, Jack. Um, you touched on something that intrigued me in uh, talking about uh, the the vectors uh, with which people are are going to attack you personally. Uh, not you personally, your company, your your company. Sorry. Um, as an industry, as, you know, as Albertson. So what I was thinking about is when you're looking at your goals for your red team and what you're trying to accomplish from your uh, red team exercises, um, what are some of the things that you're doing in preparation? I mean, you mentioned the the coupon thing. It, it made me giggle a little bit because there was that movie that just came out with uh, Kristen Bell. I don't know if you guys are aware of that movie. Jack, do you know the movie I'm talking about? Um, I don't think I do. Okay. I'm not really was, I always forget movies. Like something if I literally watched it the other day, I probably would have still forgot the name. Yeah, I don't know the name either, honestly. But it it it's really like that's the paper version. So in the '80s or '90s or something, she um she did that with paper coupons, and they had they used fraud like fraudulently, and then they made over like three million dollars with these fraudulent paper coupons. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, you know, thing to say about one of the ways that, um, you know, you have to, to think about the way that you're going to be a, a, a attacked. You know, I, when I talk to an energy company or I talk to a financial services company, you know, I think about, you know, infrastructure, nation state actors, all those kind of things. And uh, when Ryan mentioned kind of you being a part of the the food supply chain, I had never really thought about that. So I guess I just wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit and when you're formulating your goals for any of your red team exercises and what you're trying to accomplish, do, do all of those things enter into it? Do you, you talked about, you know, making sure you're, you're having focus around um, the process with which you, you know, achieve these goals, but 
Um, I wondered if you could just dig into that a little bit more and, and how you choose to, to run those exercises uh, and, the, and the goals that you're trying to accomplish and how much it touches on those various components that I mentioned. Sure, I, I'll do my best. I think, so like for me, I've, oh, the, the, the very bare minimum thing that I always super focus on is attack surface and knowing what you have available. And, and I, the one thing I've, I've found myself doing at a lot of companies is, and this is maybe bad, is whenever I've been in companies where we've had audits done or any kind of assessments and you hear the management say, oh, we don't have any issues with that or we don't have this, we don't have any eternal blue boxes, we don't have whatever or da 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 da. I usually take that as a personal challenge so, like, I remember one instance I was working for a company, we had a cloud audit thing, and they're like, hey, we have, you know, the cloud audit rules, conditional access rules that enforce MFA and, you know, disable legacy and all this other stuff for login. And then, after, and I think we're doing, like, an internal audit for that company, right? Uh, and, like, literally after that meeting, um, I was, like, during the meeting, I was looking, because I, I had done the conditional access rules and stuff like that before in a previous one. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know how to get around this. And, like, literally during lunch, I literally connected my phone uh, to our email without MFA and getting around it in a way that I knew that they weren't looking at. And then I had them fix it because I, I, I like, I like taking a challenge when someone, you know, kind of speaks from a, a point of view, like, Oh, we definitely don't do that. We don't have issues with that. I, I take it as a personal challenge to prove them wrong. Even if, you know, they're justified in saying that I just don't believe anybody hundred percent does everything they think they do. And I usually kind of like to drill into that and uh, personally just use that as goals to make, you know, to ver the whole verify where you think you're doing something you're not. Um, I, I, I kind of like doing that. And I feel like I probably didn't actually answer your question, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you did. You did it. I, I asked you f uh, maybe 15 questions in one question. So fair enough. Yeah. I. Um, how often do you run exercises? I guess maybe you, you don't run them more as formally as I think you do. Um, um, I don't. And in all honesty, a lot of times um, I have other projects that I'm helping with because also like every now and then if I have down cycles uh, from an engineering standpoint, like some like deploying something or like something as simple as working out a way of like getting agents deployed for like say Tenable or something or whatever, like something where like I have engineering background or I've done it in other companies, I'll do that on my down cycles. But then what ends up happening is sometimes when I do have a little free time, I just start looking at stuff and then I start playing around with, I, I love sitting on GitHub or whatever, and just looking at all these tool sets or going into Slack or discord channels uh, that are traditionally used by pen testers for other organizations and, and just kind of, figure out what's the tool sets they're using, what are the things they're trying, what things are they having successful. And then at like maybe once every week or two, I'm trying some new tool on my downtime. And a lot of times that ends up turning to like, say I get off at six, there's been instances where I've found some tool to play around with. And then after I get off work, I'm playing around with that on my personal computer from like the time I get off work to <clears throat> the time I get off work to like maybe 1am. Cause I just get kind of really into it. And I kind of want to build it out and play around with it and see the capabilities. Um, so I, I definitely like finding new tool sets. And then even with that, there have been instances where just me doing my pet side project things, because I have my company I work for that I can kind of use them as a target, not, not a target, but you know what I mean? I can use them as a use case to, to try these different mechanisms, tools for, and just like, and then I, I have a good relationship with our, our IR people. Where I'm like, hey, I'm going to be doing XYZ. This is the IPM coming from. 
if you happen to see me or whatever, just know that is me. If you have concerns with anything I'm doing based on what I'm telling you, let me know. I will stop it immediately. And then I'd like sometimes we'll just find stuff that we normally would not have seen just by trying different tool sets, finding different things out there uh, without really even being an actual quote unquote like assignment or something I have to work just because I'm generally curious. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. So it's really kind of it's it's semi semi formal formal in the sense that you have the the blessing from your incident response team, um, but you're you're doing a lot of this even just on your downtime. I love that. I mean, clearly you're in the right role. So <laughs> thank you. We're yeah, glad I, to know I, that I, I always aggressively ask for permission <laughs> just, to, just to clarify. Well, I, I think it's probably from which is also funny because in my organization with my management. They're kind of big on like, ah, stop with the CC. If I'm not needed for whatever, I don't need to be CC. Versus when I did government contracting, the email was the get out of jail free. That was the cover your, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm used to that. So I aggressively over ask permission for everything I'm ever going to do just so uh, it doesn't become an issue. But then what's happened sometimes is when I found things, uh, sometimes some management would be like, well, how did you find it or what were you doing or why were you doing that? Or like, why didn't our things find that? I'm like, I don't know. I just played with the new, whatever the new tool was. And the good thing about that is it actually brings up like if there's, there's, if there's uh, weaknesses in tool sets that we have, especially, you know, good or bad. When I, if you find something like just using some open source tool, whatever, like we'll say like, for example, there may be some tool set out there more enterprise specific. Um, versus you spending maybe 10 hours a week managing something or doing like that. It's a good pushing point to like get other products or things pushed that you want to kind of push. Cause if you can find stuff, uh, definitely shows a gap in like the security tool sets and things you're using. And then it makes it a lot easier budget wise to request the more enterprise specific tool sets to manage those versus kind of like expecting me to, or relying on me to have the bandwidth to, to do all the different things that especially for a company our size, um, there's a, it takes a lot of bandwidth to manually do that with open source tooling. Wow, what incredible insight, thank you. Um, uh, I noticed while you were answering my question, we had um, Jennifer rejoin the stage. Uh, Bob is, is on the stage as well. Um, if I could, maybe I, I'll go to Bob first and then we'll go to Jennifer since uh, Bob, is there your first question of the night? Hey, wait. Katie, can I ask? Because I want to jump in the car. I just don't want to have a bunch of background noise. Of course. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're all okay. friends here. Thank I'm, you. Uh, right. Thank you. Thanks. Right, Bob. We're Thank all you. friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jack, I feel like you kept talking because you thought I'd be up next. And you're like, oh, not the attorneys again. Um, I want to echo what Jenny said earlier. You've been extremely helpful along with Tom and others on this um, platform. I was always amazed with you and Casper doing those tabletops. Um, it was phenom. Um, so I have two questions and you can choose um, not to answer one of them. But um, the the one that you brought up earlier about the coupons and kind of um, looking into those, is that part of your role to disclose those? Is that part of a, a security role to say, hey, this is these could be gamed? Um, and bringing that forward, is that part of it? And you clearly love your job. And the second question is, from your picture, you look about 22 and your background uh, keeps going on and on and on and on and on. What decade, you don't have to get super specific, but like, seriously, how long have you been doing this stuff? Two questions. Uh, security, security only like maybe like, well, uh, okay, full security, not like a mixed role. Aware security and whatever, maybe only four or five years, but I did IT maybe 10 years before that. I mean, I'm in my lit, mid to late 30s. 
Um, I've like been around for a while. I just, I did a lot of IT first. Um, and then what I found is that IT, sysadmin, firewall, like all the engineering, active directory, group policy, all the, all the, all the stuff basically just made it where picking up the technical side of the security was just so much easier because I just, I already knew how the technologies worked. I didn't have to worry about like how DNS works, how CNAME registry, like I didn't, like, there's like just a lot of the underlying technology that may, maybe people have, here's a Python script, go get, you know, get cloned, download this, run this, whatever. But then if you actually look at it, you have no idea what it technically it's even doing or why the thing works versus not. But because I have the engineering background, I have a better like basic understanding of how the underlying things work just because I have that background on the IT side. Not to mention, it's always great whenever I was in security at some of my other companies where a lot of times there's friction between IT and security. And I always joke, well, I've done your job longer than I've done the job I have now. So whenever there's an argument, I'm always on your side. So I always try to make things easier for you versus making it harder, but in a way that we can make stuff more secure. Awesome. And then back to the um, couponing and that kind of scamming. Is that, was that, does that roll up? under you like is a vulnerability something like that were to come up like that like uh, specifically here or like some other retail whatever um i so also some of the things that i look into a lot is from our threat intelligence side uh we have people here that do threat research or not threat research threat intelligence with the uh the the hospitality um the retail hospitality isac um so what ends up happening is even if it's not something necessarily that's affecting us we work with other companies on like sharing threat intel and stuff like that for like companies like say Starbucks or Target or other things like that that are in the retail space from the ISAC. And then the other mechanism and things that they're, you know, they're kind of seeing activities of people trying to do that with them. I mean, cause we're still in the, the retail space. I mean, we all basically, when it comes down to it, have the same type things. If we're trying to sell something online, the same way they're going to game us is the same way they'll game say Walmart or Target or some other company while we may, you know, primarily focus on food products, we still have a portal and mechanisms that a lot of other retail space would. So whatever, uh, especially a lot of things that we end up looking at is, especially if we see people trying things with some of the other people in our space, uh, we'll use that to like reevaluate like, huh, you notice that, let me see what's going on over here to see if it's a possibility of someone doing that with us as well. Awesome, thank you. Over to you, Bob. Oh, thank you. Kay, thanks for inviting me up. And Jack, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It definitely has. Hey, I, I had a question. I wanted to get your thought about the evolution of red teaming and where do you see it going uh, in terms of uh, machine language and, and automating the red teaming uh, function. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, honestly, the way I see more the more automated things that I see are more maybe from a purple teaming standpoint, like more like technologies like uh, Caldera or things like that that kind of piece together techniques to kind of simulate different ATPs um, and how they would focus on there. Where I, I kind of see the more of the automation in more of a, I guess, almost audit versus like a direct doing the whole pen test. Because even with pen tests, there's certain things you can automatically do, but there's certain nuances to it where there's certain things that are just hard to pull out and do that an individual, I, I don't know. I, I see more from an assessment and evaluating and strengthening security for, for companies more from the purple team 
for the automation side of things uh, for workflows more than I see it for like maybe replacing pen testing specifically, if that makes sense. Um, just because, like I'd always mentioned, I'm super big into MITRE and like focusing on what act like versus focusing on trying to identify everything. Uh, focus on what actually may actually affect you. It's like you're worrying about a million things that probably no one's ever thinking of even trying against you or people that would normally attack you would never really use against you normally. How about you focus on the thing that is a no-known that they do and focus on that before you focus on everything else? Yeah, because there are some companies out there pushing the concept of CART, you know, continuous uh, automated red red teaming and pushing that concept out there. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are. One last question. Do, do you see red teaming going into doing the same type of analysis you're doing now into more of the data privacy workflows, whether it's GRC and those type of areas? Do you see any of that going on in red teaming and move, taking that profession and taking that those tools or whatever and applying it the concepts to data privacy in an organization to see that they're complying with with GRC, et cetera. Um, you're saying more from like an audit standpoint as far as enforcing that companies are actually doing the things they need to do to secure their private data that they have for their customers? Yeah, because we have seen some of that where some red teaming and some companies are migrating toward that capability and taking that red team capability into into that workflow within those companies. So I'm curious if you're, what your thoughts are on that, and then I'm done speaking. Oh no no, and and I'm gonna be honest, I I I haven't thought that much in that side of the space. Unfortunately, um, that's not my forte, so I'm not really sure. I'd have to think about that a little more, uh, just because it's it's not my strong suit, I guess you would say. No, that's fine. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. I figure the worst thing you could do, it, it's, it's better to say you don't know than it is to try and BS your way through stuff because everybody can see it. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> Great. I know, Russell, you had a question as well that you wanted to uh, make sure you had time uh, to ask Jack. So I think it's your time. Oh, cool. Thanks, uh, Jack. What a great conversation this last hour and a half. Uh, all the things you've done and shared and helped us uh, understand better, especially the art of, of you as well as uh, on red teams as well. Question for you is uh, this. What, how, how often for uh, cybersecurity leaders and stuff, how often should we go and, and have red teams? Is it once a year to get our audit pretty green checkbox? Is it more frequent than that? What would your advice be to folks like me when wondering you know, how often I should get get me one of those uh, shiny new red team or pen test uh, at my organization. How do I think about that? I mean, some of the organizations that I've been at, what I've kind of preferred, if you're talking about from the third party assessment, is um, either like I think one thing I like, which you could probably not go as frequent as this, but I know one of my employers, one of my managers, I like that basically he had an assessment every six months. But he would he would rotate it. He would be like, I'm going to do an external audit or external pen test, and then six months later internal, and then kind of flip flop. And so where you're doing one annually, but you're not just doing like you know your shebang all at once. Um, but then like even from internal like red team standpoint, right? To me, um, and this is like kind of something that I push as well is anytime we do any assessments or things of that nature, 
uh, from a racing standpoint or if you're building a racing or have it, I think it's important. Like for me, I always ask to see all the reports from all the pen tests, from all the whatever, because I like it because one, I get to see, all right, what tool sets are they using? What, what mechanisms they use? Is it stuff I'm familiar with? Is it maybe something I haven't heard of? But then it also like when you're looking at remediation long, you know, down the road, um, having like people like on your red team, or whatever, kind of looking to where like, for example, say something's identified in this year's pen test, right? A lot of times things tend to fall through the craps where through the, uh, the cracks where maybe the immediate findings are things that you need to like evaluate and resolve. But then there are other things that are concerns that just kind of fall off to the wayside. And then you'll get into that bad habit of like the next two pen tests you do literally keep finding the same thing that they keep telling you over and over again. And there's like not anybody dedicated actually working on plans to adjust them. Um, so I think it's valuable like to still do the third party assessments, but have like your internal red team where that's just becoming other data sources for them to help also steer them in like, hey, progressively, let's look at a way to resolve this and do continuous testing. In a lot of cases, a lot of the assessments will use a lot of open source technology or stuff that you can kind of in-house do um, to where, the, and this is also like for one of the companies I worked at when I first did security for MSP. What I loved about that, where I, where I wasn't traditionally doing right team, but I was kind of doing all the security stuff, is we would have an annual pen test from this company. And every year, it was considered a win if every year they did it, I made it harder and harder for them to do what they were trying to do. And I remember, I think it was right when I left one of the companies, it was like the third pen test or whatever. I remember uh, the things that we put in place, the CTO had like contacted me. I was like super happy that like for one time they actually had done like an internal pen test and they weren't even able to get a hash of a like privileged account based on the things that we put in place there over the years, identifying what they were doing and then me verifying, testing and doing some of the same mechanisms, looking at defenses and then re-verifying with other testing using same type tool sets so that when we would have that external validation, we were making sure that we were properly identifying things so that you get better value. Cause it, it doesn't, it, you don't get a lot of value as a company. If a pen test comes in, if they come into a pen test, and they're basically finding the same crap that you already are aware of and like you're not making any progression. To me, it's really valuable when you have people doing some continuously internally to where the idea is like every assessment you do, every internal or external pen test you do, you want as an organization, you want to feel like you're making it harder on those assessors or those pen testers. Because if you're not, then are you really making progress in your security program? Love that. Thanks, Jack. Such great insight and wisdom for us to all take away from that. Hussein, uh, over to you for what may be the last question. Hey, Jack. Thanks for all the good insights. Question for you. What's your thoughts about doing red teaming campaigns outside of the MITRE framework? I've heard from some experts saying that just don't rely on MITRE framework. You need to explore social engineered scenarios that may not be accounted for in the uh, MITRE framework. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, that, that is true. Um, so, like, even when I've done a lot of organizations, I end up doing, like, whatever the annual, whatever required. Like, I did a lot of know-before campaigns, a lot of the phishing tests that we would do and all things like that um, at other organizations I've been at. When it comes down to it, no matter what amount of training or whatever you do, people are always going to be the weakest link in any security thing as far as like just the, 
it's good to, I guess, invest in that training and that knowledge within your company. But I tend to focus more outside of that only because the technology and the tool set and the things you do is something you have more control over. So like even if you look at a lot of data breaches out there and things and stuff that's happened over the years, a lot of them are very simple things that were audit, like things that audits could have found or like, you know, evaluations from third parties, misconfigurations, weak passwords, pass, like, like just different stuff that like the human element maybe was not the biggest component of them. Um, but those are things that me as a technical person, I can more directly manage than say the, the social engineering aspect. Uh, while I do see it's still important, I tend to focus more on the technology and like that side of it because that's a little bit easier to manage and to predict or be a little more active in, uh, I guess, making better in your organization. Because um, there's only so much you can do and there's going to be people that are just, you know, still click the links no matter how much you tell them or train them. Thank you. Appreciate it. Over to you, Lisa. Wow. Well, time flies when you're having fun. We are already at our our, our ending point. Um, I am so glad that you were able to join us tonight. Um, for anyone who's uh, joined us on this journey today, uh, know that we will be back again next week on Wednesday. Um, Jack, are there ways that you said that the best way to reach out to you would be on LinkedIn? So, um, Jack, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight and for allowing us to, to ask you questions and find out more about you. Oh, no problem. I just hope that uh, someone, you know, you guys actually just got something out of this because I feel like I tend to ramble. So, you know, sometimes you got to stop me. You were terrific. I got a ton out of it and I really appreciate you. So thank you. Any last comments, Mods? Well, I feel like we can't break the tradition of the final question of what would you say to your younger self? Good memory, Katie. Go for it. I, I like that question. Um, yeah, Jack, one the final question that's kind of tr a tradition in the room that was not started by me. It was started by uh, who? I don't even know. It was before I even joined as a listener myself. So um, what would you, you know, with all of the you know years of experience that you have, uh, what would you say to your younger self and then we'll we'll leave with with that insight thank you what advice would you give to your younger self to be more clear um don't settle um what i've noticed in the last couple of years is i there's a good portion of time where i just kind of got into a groove where i wasn't really learning anything new and just kind of doing the same monotonous thing and not growing um and i kind of just wish i had not gotten into that or I don't know how to phrase it. I wish basically I had just been a little more proactive towards my growth or career, like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago uh, versus like most of my security knowledge is literally in the last four or five years. So like it's more recent, but there was like a, a good five to 10 years where I basically wasn't really learning anything new and I was just content and I didn't know that there was other possibilities out there for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I really I like that question. And I know sometimes it can be, it can be um, a little bit difficult to reflect on our, our lives. I was thinking about that question myself today. And, um, and so I really appreciate you answering that for us as we close the room. And what a great guest. And yeah, buy um, a whole bunch of Tesla and Apple. 
<laughs> you know what? That's actually, that's a very creative answer. I like that one. Good, good call. Well, those are to live by. Thank you for joining us, Jack. Thank you, Mods. Um, and join us next week when we have um, another fireside chat. I'm excited about the one we have in store for next week. And you can find out more by uh, looking at our events. Um, next week, it'll be Brian Lozada, um, who is the CISO at HBO Max. So um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And have a great week ahead. Thank you. Be safe. Be well. Good night. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Good night. Great job.